Chapter Five of Weapons of Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Weapons of Mystery by Joseph Hocking. Chapter Five. Christmas Night. The Forging of the Chain. You have more than redeemed your promise, Voltaire," said Tom Temple, after a silence that was almost painful. Certainly, there's enough romance and mystery in your story to satisfy anyone. What do you think of it, Justin? Turning to me, Mr. Voltaire used the word imagination in his story. I replied, and I think it would describe it very well. Still, it does not account for much. After one has read Dumas' Memoirs of a Physician. Am I to understand that you doubt the truth of my words? asked Voltaire sharply. I think your story is all that it appears to be, I replied. Honestly, however, I did not believe in one word of it. On the very face of it, it was absurd. The idea of taking a spirit from a living body and sending it after someone that was dead, in order that some secret might be learned, might pass for a huge joke. But certainly it could not be believed in by any well-balanced mind. At any rate, such was my conviction. I have heard that Mr. Blake has attempted to write a novel, said Voltaire. Perhaps he believes my story is made on the same principle. Scarcely, I replied. My novel was a failure. It caused no sensation at all. Your story, on the other hand, is a brilliant success. See with what breathless interest it was listened to and how it haunts the memories of your hearers, even yet. This raised a slight titter. I do not know why it should, save that some of the young ladies were frightened and accepted the first opportunity whereby they could in some way relieve their feelings. Anyhow, it aroused Mr. Voltaire, for as he looked at me, there was the look of a demon in his face, and his hand trembled. Do you doubt the existence of the forces I have mentioned? he asked. Do you think that the matters to which I have referred exist only in the mind? Are they in your idea no sciences in reality? Pardon me, Mr. Voltaire, I replied, but I am an Englishman. We are thought by foreigners to be very conservative, and perhaps there may be truth in it. Anyhow, I, for one, like tangible proof before I believe in anything that does not appeal to my reason. Your story does not appear reasonable, and although I hope I do not offend you by saying so, I cannot accept it as gospel. Perhaps, said Kaffar, who spoke for the first time, Mr. Blake would like some proofs. Perhaps he would like not only to see manifestations of the power of the unseen, but to feel them. Ah, pardon me, ladies and gentlemen, but I cannot stand by and hear the greatest of all sciences maligned and still be quiet. I cannot be silent when that which is dearer to me than life itself is submitted to the cool test of bigoted ignorance. You may not believe it's true, but I would give much to know what Ilfra the Understanding One knew. I was reared under Egypt's sunny skies. I have lain under her stately palms and watched the twinkling stars. I am a child of the East, and I believe in the truths that are taught there. I have only dabbled in the mysteries of the unseen, but I know enough to tell you that what my friend says is true. 
Was this a ruse on the part of the Egyptian? Looking at the whole matter in the light of what followed, I believe it was, and yet at the time I did not know. I am sorry, I replied, if I have caused annoyance, but we English people possess the right of our opinions. However, I do not wish to bias other minds and trust that my skepticism may cause no unpleasantness. But would Mr. Blake like to be convinced, said Voltaire? I am perfectly indifferent about the matter, I replied. That is very convenient for one who has stated his belief so doggedly. Certainly, I do not think that is English. If it is, I am glad I am not an Englishman. With this he fixed his eyes steadily on me, and tried to fasten my attention, but did not at the time succeed. I was asked for my opinion, I said. I did not force it, but still, since you place it in that light, I should like to be convinced. By this time the interest manifested in the matter was great. Every one watched breathlessly for what was to be done or said next, and certainly I felt that I was regarded by the guests in anything but a favorable light. I saw Voltaire and Kaffar exchanging glances, and I felt sure I heard the former say in Arabic, Not yet. After this the two arranged to give us some manifestations of their power. While they were conversing, I went across the room and spoke to Miss Forrest, but she was very reserved, and I thought her face looked very pale. This is becoming interesting, I said. I wish you had said nothing about his story, was her reply. Pray why? She only shook her head. Surely you do not believe in his foolish story or conjuring tricks, I said laughingly. But she did not reply in the same vein. Mr. Voltaire is a wonderful man, she said, a clever man. If I were a man, I should not like to make him my enemy. I have heard of an old saying at my home, I replied, which ran something like this, Brag is a good dog, but hold fast is better. Still, I should have nothing to do with Brag, she said. I hope you will not, I replied meaningly. She did not answer me, but I fancied she blushed, and again I felt happy. By this time Voltaire was ready with his performance. You will see, he said, that here we have no chance for stage tricks. All is plain and open as the day. Moreover, I will have no secrets from you, even with regard to the subject itself. The phenomena that will be brought before you are purely psychological. The mind of my friend Kaffar will be, by a secret power, merged into mine. What I see, he will see, although in your idea of the matter he does not see at all. Now, First of all, I wish you to blindfold my friend Kaffar. Perhaps Mr. Blake, seeing he longs for truth, may like to do this. No? Well, then perhaps our host will. Thank you, Mr. Temple. With this, Tom Temple completely blindfolded the Egyptian, and then we awaited the further development of the matter. Would you mind leading him to the library? Voltaire continued. He will certainly not be able to see anything of us here and still he will not be out of earshot. Kaffar was accordingly led into the library, blindfolded. Now, said Voltaire, I told you that by a secret power his mind and mine become one. I will prove to you that I have not spoken boastingly. Will any gentleman or lady show me any curiosity 
he or she may have accordingly several of the party pulled from their pockets articles of interest and of which neither voltaire nor kaffar could have known each time the former asked what the article was and each time the latter although at a distance correctly described it a look of wonder began to settle on the faces of the guests and exclamations of surprise and bewilderment were apparent it was apparent that nearly all were converts to his beliefs if beliefs they might be called after a number of articles were shown and described kaffar was recalled and was loudly applauded you see said voltaire the evident truth of this certainly this is a very simple affair and my old friend abu al-fadre would have smiled at its littleness still it must convince every unprejudiced mind that there is something deeper and more wonderful than those things which are constantly passing before your view miss staggles who had been almost as silent as a sphinx spoke now we are convinced you are a wonderful man she said and what i have seen tonight will be ever a matter of marvel as well as thankfulness that i have been privileged to see it this was evidently the opinion of every one in the room even gertrude forrest was carried away by it while miss edith gray was enraptured at what she termed a glorious mystery i should like said miss staggles to hear what mr blake the thomas of the party has to say to it now, there was an ugly leer in the old woman's eye as she spoke and the thought struck me that voltaire had been making friends with her yes said voltaire i am sure we should all like to know whether mr blake is convinced i am convinced that mr kaffar has a good memory i said good memory what do you mean why mr voltaire and his friends have come a few years too late to make a good impression i have not only seen a better performance at a dozen entertainments but i have found out the secret of what is called thought reading do you mean to say you have seen similar feats before asked voltaire savagely at least a dozen times i replied in a few years time we shall see the like performed on the sands at our fashionable watering places i am glad said kaffar that the education of your country has so far advanced i went on talking not realizing that i was all the time forging a chain that should hold me in cruel bondage i am afraid it says very little for our education i replied some clever fellow has invented a clever system for asking and answering questions and those who have taken the trouble to learn it have been able to deceive a credulous public voltaire's eyes flashed fire all the malignity and cruelty that could be expressed in a human face i thought i saw expressed in his and yet he wore his old fascinating smile he never lost his seeming self-possession i must deny mr blake's statement he said and further i would defy him to find or produce such a code of questions as he mentions i immediately left the room and soon afterward returned with a book by a renowned thought reader wherein he explained what to many has appeared marvelous i pointed out how according to his system by asking a question the first word of which should begin with a certain letter a particular thing should be indicated and all that would be needed was that the performers should be perfectly conversant with the system the company quickly saw the truth of what i was saying and for the time at any rate 
Mr. Voltaire's marvelous knowledge was held at a discount. But does Mr. Blake mean to insinuate that Mr. Kaffar and myself have learnt such a code as this? said Voltaire at length. I insinuate nothing, I replied. I am simply showing how your performance can be done by those possessing no knowledge of the occult sciences. But does Mr. Blake decline to believe that we know nothing of the mysterious, that we have not dived into subjects of which the ordinary mind can know nothing, said Kaffar? Pardon me, I replied, but I decline to answer. I have not volunteered any opinion either as to Mr. Voltaire's story or your performance. I was asked my opinion, and I gave it. I watched Mr. Voltaire's face as I spoke. He seemed to be pondering some matter in his mind, and he appeared irresolute as to what action he should take. At length a strange light shot from his eyes, and he raised his head and spoke. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, evidently Mr. Blake, with his hard English common sense, has raised some amount of doubt in your minds as to the validity of my story and of our performance. I am sure you will allow me to vindicate and prove any assertion I have made. If I have claimed a knowledge of the mysterious, I have not done so without reason. We believe that is true, said Miss Staggles. We believe you are a wonderful man. Thank you, said Voltaire. I am sure I have Miss Staggles' sympathies, but will someone assist me in what I am about to do? I will allow no possibility of a system in this, and consequently I shall be glad if any gentleman will help me in the manifestation of the hidden powers of the human mind. Perhaps, turning, I thought eagerly to me, Mr. Blake will be the one. No, I said, I prefer to be a spectator. I could no longer mistake the hate that flashed from his eyes, but he said nothing and waited quietly for a volunteer. No one was forthcoming. At length Tom Temple said, Would one of the servants do, Voltaire? I would rather have a visitor, said Voltaire, and for two reasons. First, you could not then have any reason for suspecting a collusion, and second, the ordinary English servant is extremely unsusceptible to the play of higher powers. If, however, none of you will volunteer, I can see no other alternative. Accordingly, a man about my own age was brought in and introduced as Simon Slowden. I saw that he was no ordinary character as soon as he entered, and was by no means one who could be easily imposed upon. I afterwards found that Simon had spent his boyhood in London, had, when a youth, joined a travelling circus, and tramped the country for a few years. He had also travelled with several shows, two or three travelling theatres, and had finally settled down with a lame leg at Temple Hall, where he made himself generally useful. His dialect was a mixture of the Cockney and a dozen others equally bad, until it was almost impossible to tell from that source the part of the country from which he hailed. He was, however, a good-hearted fellow, and for a wonder, considering his history, as honest as the day. "'Now, Simon,' said Tom Temple, this gentleman is a scientist and wants to show some experiments, and he can't get anyone to assist him, so I thought I'd ask you. Well, said Simon, I don't know as I think Mitch on these science gents. They're always a bringin' in some new fangle thing or other, but generally there's naught in em. Still, to oblige the company, I'll do out reasonable. 
I'm tough as a crocodile's tongue and can stand a goodish bit of jingo and nonsense. Here goes, Yana. Voltaire eyed him doubtfully, and Simon coolly returned the stare. You're not a going to vaccinate me, be you? said Simon at length. No. Why? Cause I can't stand that tough as I be. I live with a doctor once, and he said to me, Simon, I want to experiment on you, says he. I'm tough enough, says I. I want to vaccinate you against cholera, hoopin' cough, and smallpox, says he. What's that? Gim to me, says I. No, says he, but to prevent you from a heaven em. That's your sort, says I. Well, gentlemen, he vaccinated me, and I said to him, Never no more, your honor. Why? asked I. Cause I rather have cholera, hoopin' cough, and smallpox all together than be vaccinated. Just like women, you never know where they'll break out. Will you kindly sit down, said Voltaire, while I go to my room for a book? While he was gone, I went to Simon and spoke to him, and that gentleman got very communicative. I'm not overmuch in love with that chap, says he, and sure as I'm right down, Cockney, he hates you like pison. Give him a wide berth, yonner, and don't have nothing to do with him. Oh, I replied, he can't hurt me. Don't know, your honor. You and he's got your peepers fixed in the same place. And excuse me, but if you give him a chance, he'll beat you. He'd charm a serpent with these peepers of his'n. Aren't you afraid yourself, then? He can't hurt me, for I'm too tough. I'm non signed for anybody. I ain't, and I ain't a got a good-looking jib, and— But here Voltaire entered the room and spoke to Tom Temple. Simon said Tom, a second after, What color are the chestnut mare's eyes? Simon heaved himself, struggled, looked vacant, and said dreamily, They're like women and vaccination, you—you— you but a film came over his eyes, and he was unconscious. Again there was deathly silence in the room, and all eyes were turned toward Voltaire, who had walked close to Simon Slowden. The man is not very susceptible, said Voltaire. Consequently, I cannot do so much with him as I should, had he been more highly organized, but I can at least convince skeptics. You will see, he went on, that I have not touched him, and yet he is no longer conscious. I will now ask him any question concerning either the dead or the living that you may be inclined to ask. I will ask a test question, said Gertrude Forrest. What are the servants doing at this time? The cooks examining a goose, was the reply, and the housemaids talking with a chap as it just come from the village. He went on telling what the rest were doing, but Tom Temple immediately sent to the kitchen and found that things were as was described. "'Where's Dr. Sharp?' said Mrs. Temple, adding that they could easily find out the doctor's present whereabouts the next day. "'He's coming up here with his long-nosed pointer,' was the reply, "'and will be here in a jiffy.' Five minutes after, Dr. Sharp came into the room. "'I did not know I could come until half an hour ago,' he said, as he entered, and then stared as he saw how matters stood." "'Will you tell me,' said Miss Forrest, "'what my aunt is doing just now?' She mentioned no name, and I do not know how the man sitting in the chair could know anything about her. "'She is just gwine to bed,' he said. "'She's a bit of a cold in her chest, and housekeeper's gwine take some warming stuff to her.' "'I'll know if this is true tomorrow,' said Miss Forrest, and then relapsed into a silence. Meanwhile question after question was asked and answered, while Voltaire and Kaffar stood side by side, each 
with a terrible glitter in his eyes. Under some secret influence, Simon Slowden was led to the piano, and there executed some of the latest and most difficult pieces of music, and without hesitation told things that were at least marvelous. Then, when excitement was at its highest, he woke up and coolly rubbed his eyes. No one uttered a word. We were all too much amazed. At last Voltaire, with a sidelong glance at me, asked whether we were convinced, and one by one the members of the party expressed their wonder and astonishment. I, however, was silent. Some power of obstinacy still seemed to possess me. I would not tamely admit his victory. After I had openly defeated him before, still I did not speak a word. Is Mr. Blake convinced? said Miss Staggles, leering towards me. Of what? I asked. Of Mr. Voltaire's power? Undoubtedly. Come, said Kaffar, Mr. Blake is still a skeptic. I think it fair that he should consent to test this for himself. Certainly not, I replied. But I think it is our right, said Voltaire. You have expressed your want of faith in our power. Now, if you have the courage of a man with an opinion, test the matter. Sit here as Simon did, and see whether you are right. I thought I heard a voice saying, Don't, close to my ear, and I hesitated. At this there was a twitter among the young ladies. Evidently our Thomas is afraid, said Miss Staggles. There was an ugly look in her eyes as she said this, but the titter increased into a kind of derisive laugh. I know it was an evidence of my cowardice, but I could not withstand their laughter. I forgot the warning voice behind me. I refused to take notice of Mrs. Temple's warning glance. I rose up, went to the chair in the middle of the room, and defiantly said, There, do all you can with me. Voltaire and Kaffar came up to me, while the rest crowded around. The former fixed his terrible eye upon me, as he would peer into my very soul. A strange feeling began to creep over me, but I struggled against it with all my strength, and for a minute I seemed to gain the mastery. I laughed in his face, as if I scorned his boasted strength. A strange gleam was emitted from his light gray eyes, while his lips became ashly pale. Then I saw him grip Gaffar's hand. Instantly the room was peopled with a strange crowd. Dark forms seemed to come from Voltaire's eyes. Peculiar influences were all around me. The faces of the two men became dimmer and dimmer. The people appeared to float in mid-air, and I with them. Then something heavy seemed to move away. I thought I heard strange creeping noises, like that of an adder crawling amidst thick, dry grass, and then all was blank. End of chapter 5